During my teenage years, my family lived in upstate New York. A notable geographic feature of this area is very stony earth. Now, my mom has always been ingenuitive and able to make something out of nothing. One day, she came up with a plan to enhance the curb appeal of our home. She wanted to use the rocks from our yard to build a stonewall planter in front of our house. So that's what we did. It was hard work, and by the end of the project, we had hauled nearly 2,000 large flat stones. But with teamwork and a lot of skill from my dad, who assembled all the rocks, the vision became a reality. The wall was impressive and beautiful, something that we were all proud of. Over the past year or so, I began to have big questions, questions I couldn't ignore. And I began to see my life, my belief system, the church, very much like the stone wall that we had built in front of our home as kids. I found myself removing and inspecting some of these stones. In some cases, they were large and lodged deep into the wall. So as I pulled and inspected them, I looked back at the wall and noticed the adjacent stones had their own inconsistencies and flaws which required me to pull more and more rocks from the structure. It is uncomfortable to see something that I've always imagined to be stable and unwavering come down piece by piece. But amidst the discomfort, freedom has begun to grow. And while I am very much in progress, I'm learning to accept that it's okay not to have all the answers. This is Uncertainty, a deconstruction story. I'm Jordan Slack. major theme of this podcast will be the power of stories and the importance of origins. To say this another way, I believe that history is the most valuable asset available to us as we seek to understand the present and change the future. Owning your story is critical if you want to own your future. So here is part of my story. My life has been amazing. I have incredible parents and siblings who I consider to be some of my best friends. I have the privilege of being married to an exceptional, intelligent woman who happens to be my first and only girlfriend. I'm father to three miracle children who have come into our family through adoption. And while my time in the church has left me with some scars, I have also experienced a lot of good through it all. As with most things in life, I see my experience with the church as a nuanced spectrum rather than a simple binary outcome. I do not look back and wish that I hadn't been raised in the church, and even as I leave, I can see the bitter and the sweet interwoven. As I tell my story, I know that I am very blessed. I've been spared the abuse that many in the church have experienced. Add to this that I am a cishet white man who has privilege and power handed to me at every turn in our culture, in and out of the church. I am very aware of this position as I share my story. In light of all this, I've struggled even to share anything about myself. 
It is my genuine desire to elevate the voices of the marginalized, something that this podcast doesn't explicitly do. But I've come to realize that it is important that I am a healthy person before I enter into the battle for others, and sharing my story is part of my path to healing. So as we dig in, please hear my intention. I do not want to elevate myself. I want to pursue health and healing so that I can elevate and support others and truly be an agent for change. But I'm starting here. My wife and I got married in the summer of 2012. Leading up to our marriage, we agreed that we would stay put in the small town in upstate New York where we met and grew up. But we knew that we wanted to move on at some point. As we drew closer to our first anniversary, we both began feeling ready to make a change, but we didn't know where we wanted to move or why. I was finishing college and working part-time, so I had afternoons where I would go to the coffee shop across the street from our apartment. Many times I would meet up with my dad, who was a pastor at our church, and we would just talk and hang out. Around this time, he had been feeling a desire to pursue church planting. After going through an extensive process with Sovereign Grace Ministries, which was the network that our church was a part of at the time, my dad told me that he was not accepted as a candidate. I will spend more time discussing power dynamics in church culture and how that played out in my experiences with various networks in a later episode, but it bears noting that the team involved reviewing my dad's application spent very little time actually vetting him before making their decision. Among other things, they had him submit three sermons as a part of the application, and after listening to only one and a half of the sermons, they denied him because he wasn't, quote, gospel-centered enough. There was no real actionable feedback, and they gave no indication that they had any intentions of supporting him in pursuing his goal of church planting, and provided no options for coaching, support, or growth. So after months of preparing and hoping, the goal of planting a church came crashing down. It was a very difficult time for him. My parents and our family had been part of Sovereign Grace for over 20 years at that point, faithfully serving in various churches across the country. But because of the way this situation was handled, my dad began looking at other networks to plant with, something that wasn't really a consideration for many within Sovereign Grace. There was an attitude and understanding that while SGM wasn't perfect or the only option for churches, it really was the best. This made it very difficult for committed members and staff, like my dad, to ever consider leaving. But there were lots of things boiling under the surface with Sovereign Grace, creating concern among many church leaders. Broad, sweeping changes to the church government model, a very mysterious departure of C.J. Mahaney from Covenant Life Church, the original SGM quote-unquote mothership, accusations that leadership, including Mahaney, were acting in arrogant and even abusive ways. Add to all of this the allegations of sexual abuse and subsequent cover-up by leadership, things were in a very shaky position. In light of all this, leaving Sovereign Grace Ministries started to seem like the right choice. As my dad considered other networks to plant with, Acts 29 floated to the top fairly quickly. They were gaining traction at the time, and they were adjacent to Sovereign Grace in many ways. 
The network shared most of the same core theological beliefs, but A29 had a much more positive view and roadmap for discipleship and church planting. Add to this that my mom and I had spent years listening to Mark Driscoll's sermons online. Don't worry, I will come back and dig into this more later. And we also followed Matt Chandler, so there was some familiarity and even respect for the organization. After praying and preparing, my dad decided to apply to be an Acts 29 church planter. I remember sitting in that coffee shop as he was telling me all of this, squirming in my chair. I was so excited at the prospect of being a part of a church plant. I told him that Jen and I were praying about where God would send us next, but that we would love to be a part of his church plant. I'd been on the worship team with our current church for about six years and was a worship leader for about three of those years, so I was excited to be able to take an active role in starting this new church and shaping the music culture from the ground up. One of my deepest desires has always been to have an impact, to positively affect the world, to make change. At this point in my life, the most effective way I knew to do this was to support church planting. This is what the leaders that I trusted said Jesus wanted. That's what they were doing, and as they did it, change was happening. Lives were being transformed. I saw it, and I believed it. Not only that, I wanted to be a part of it. So I was really excited to even be adjacent to what was happening. My dad's application process began, and he was accepted. We began meeting in his basement to pray, plan, and prepare. But there was one key thing that we didn't know yet. Where would we plant this church? My parents, Jen and I, thought and talked about it a lot. We prayed. We looked at maps. And one night, my mom and Jen both had separate inklings that led us to look at Sarasota, Florida. We began to pray about it and felt God leading us in that direction. We all took a trip to Sarasota to experience the city and see if this is where we were supposed to plant a church. I really wanted this to work. I had high expectations for the trip, but as we walked the streets and beaches, I found myself surprisingly unsure. I remember very clearly the last day of our trip, Jen, my dad, and I all went to the beach at the end of the day, and as we walked the shore, we discussed how we were feeling. As we all shared, I felt better because we were all unsure. I think we wanted a lightning shock to tell us that we were supposed to plant a church in Sarasota, but we didn't get it. As we talked, we realized our expectations, but we also discussed that the gospel needs to be preached everywhere. And while we want to follow God, our feelings aren't always the best guides. We flew back to New York, and as we did, I was unsure, but still excited. We continued to plan, and ultimately my dad was fully accepted as a church planner with Acts 29. And after continued prayer and discussion, we decided that Sarasota was the city. We named the church Bridgeway Sarasota. We got a logo and a website. We started to review demographics of the city and plan our plant. Based on our living situation, Jen and I moved down first from New York to Sarasota in November of 2013. After a short 23-hour non-stop drive, we arrived exhausted in Florida, but we were so happy to finally be there. We spent the next few months getting familiar with the area and looking for jobs. 
At the end of 2013, the rest of my family arrived, and shortly after, we started services in my dad's house. I look back on these early days with fondness. There was an excitement and passion that we had that was very special. We were building something from the ground up, and it wasn't something that we were building just for the hell of it. We truly hoped and believed that we would change the city of Sarasota. A few months into the plant, we made a connection with a local church that was willing to rent their gym space to us on Sunday mornings. This meant that we could transition from meeting in my dad's living room to a true meeting space. We got the needed equipment and started running a mobile church. It would take a lot longer to tell the full story of Bridgeway and everything that happened in that church. For the purpose of this podcast, we will be doing a flyover of this period of my life. Jen and I were a part of Bridgeway for five years. We invested a lot of time, effort, and literal sweat keeping the church running. And it wasn't just us. So many people spent their time and effort to support the Sunday morning services and everything else that Bridgeway did, not the least of which was my dad. He had a lot of hats to wear. It wasn't just preaching and planning Sunday morning services. He was on call with members for support and counseling. He was managing finances and accounting. He was mobilizing volunteers and training city group leaders, strategizing how we could engage our community. All of this was on top of his responsibilities as a husband and father to three teenagers, my younger siblings. Some great things came out of Bridgeway, but there was a lot of weight and some pain as well. My ties with Bridgeway began to loosen when I got a job in Tampa. I was committed to the church. We stayed in Sarasota even though I had an hour and a half commute each way to my new job every day. At a certain point, this became too much. I would spend 15 to 20 hours driving every week on top of my 40 plus hour a week job. The tipping point came when I didn't see either of my newly adopted sons several days in a row because I had left for work before they were awake and got home after they were asleep. I'd been exhausted and overwhelmed for months, but this was the straw that broke my back. It was really difficult my wife and I agreed that it was essential to prioritize our family, so we made the decision to move to Tampa. I want to pause here and say that the hardest thing about leaving Bridgeway, aside from leaving my family and working with my dad, was the guilt that I felt leaving a church without a worship leader. I had led every Sunday for nearly five years, with an extremely small number of exceptions. I thought that my drive was passion. I love music. I love being included and needed, but I also hate being the one to let someone down. And while my love of music was strong, my fear of letting others down was stronger. I will dig into the dynamics of burnout and serving in church in a later episode, but I think it's important for me to acknowledge that my fear and shame kept me in an unhealthy pattern that negatively affected my health my marriage, and my ability to be a father for nearly two years because I didn't want to let the church down. And while my dad was the pastor, this wasn't a paternal guilt. This was something deeper that I had been taught in church culture, that laying down my life, no matter what that meant, was what I was supposed to do to honor God and serve the church. So as we moved to Tampa, we quickly made a connection with a similar church 
that was still in its infancy. We talked to the pastor ahead of time and ensured that he was aware that while I was able to serve as a worship leader, that I needed time to be with my family, to rest and to heal. I will admit that going into this period, I had good intentions, but I also had a very skewed understanding of what healing looked like, and I truly had no idea the amount of issues that I really needed to work through. So for a few months, I was a normal church member. I was able to take my kids to children's ministry with my wife. I was able to get coffee before service. I was able to sing as a part of the congregation. I put my arm around Jen during sermons. It was nice and something I hadn't really experienced as an adult. But I don't like to sit still. After about three months, I started to ask about joining the worship team. I auditioned and got onto the schedule serving once or twice a month. At first, I was primarily a band member, playing guitar or cajon, singing background vocals. It wasn't long, though, before I began leading worship. And at my own request, I started leading more and more. Even as I record this, I'm not fully sure why I felt so passionate about being involved. That said, something I've become more aware of is my aggressive pursuit of doing the right thing. I will discuss this more in a future episode, but I have always pursued being a good person with extreme vigor. In my initial assessments, I saw this as an appeal for attention. I wanted people to see my talents, compliment me, validate me, and this was certainly a factor. But as I've begun to honestly explore some of my deepest wounds, I've realized that I am driven by acute fear. I can't be bad. I've lived in such fear of my sin and the potential consequences of my sin that I have run hard after every venue in which I can prove to others and myself that I'm actually a good person. Not because I wanted to tickle my ego, but because my soul was in a dark corner, barely escaping the dementors telling me that I was evil to my core. At this time, though, on the surface... I truly felt excited to be back on a worship team. In the summer of 2019, we had a special guest at the church. It was a church planner who was coming to Tampa. He came to share what his family and planting team were coming to do alongside the other churches in the area. I honestly didn't think much of it when it happened. I had seen this before, so it wasn't out of the ordinary, but we prayed for them and asked God to bless their church. Several months later, my pastor reached out to me and a few other individuals asking if we would be willing to serve this new church plant by leading worship Sunday evenings while they found someone to permanently lead. And I was all in. The first evening I went, I felt something different. There was a connection with the pastor and the small congregation that I couldn't escape. Before the service, the pastor mentioned that they were looking to hire someone part-time to be a part of the team. And I found myself getting excited to work with a new church plant again. After the service, we talked more, and he asked me if I would consider being a part of the plant as the staff worship leader. I was really excited, but I told him that I would talk with Jen and pray about it, because while we weren't really looking to change churches at the time, we always kept our hands open to what God had. Jen and I began discussing the possibility of changing churches and starting a new chapter of our life with this church plant. As we discussed, we were really back and forth about it. 
and never quite on the same page. At first I was for it, and she wasn't so sure. Then I became less comfortable with it, and she was more open. Big decisions we've always agreed to only move forward when we both have peace, so we felt that it wasn't the right time. While these conversations were ongoing, I became aware that the worship pastor at our current church was going on sabbatical due to health issues. While he was out, there would be a big gap in the worship team, and I felt a sense of duty, once again, to not leave a church without a worship leader. I informed the pastor at the new church plant that at this point we felt like we needed to stay with our current church. Not long after, the worship pastor went on leave, and I became his primary replacement. For several months, I led almost every week, while still helping the new church plant many Sunday nights. I equated this busyness with productivity and justified the exhaustion because I was serving God and his church. In reality, I was overextending myself once again, and underneath all of my efforts was a longing to be good. During this time, COVID restrictions began to set in. This obviously affected the way that we were doing church at the time, but it also impacted my job. For the first time, I got to experience something that I had always wanted, to work from home. Even though we lived closer to my job, now that we were in Tampa, I was still gone eight to 10 hours a day, and I missed out on a lot. But the lockdown afforded me the chance to experience what it was like to work at home. I had always wondered if I was romanticizing the idea in my mind, but I quickly realized that it was everything I thought it might be, and more. My mental health and the dynamic of our family changed drastically, but this benefit was short-lived. The company I worked for was family-owned, and the owners didn't trust people to work from home, or really at all. During our effort to go remote, the owners chose to require employees working from home to use an app to geofence their houses so that they could be tracked during the day. After a few short months in lockdown, they brought all management back into the office permanently in May of 2020, citing that our financial services company was considered essential under Florida's regulations. Before heading back in, I asked my boss whether the company would consider a hybrid remote option for me so I could be home a few days a week, even in a post-COVID world. But the answer was a flat no. I take this detour because it played a significant role in what our family's church life looked like going forward. Once I found out that remote work wasn't an option at my current company, I began applying for jobs, primarily at companies that had remote work models. While searching for jobs, I saw a few positions that I was interested in at Disney. One night, when I was leading worship for the church plant, I mentioned offhandedly to the pastor's wife that I was applying to jobs and one of them was at Disney. A few days later, the pastor asked if I wanted to have breakfast. He found out that I was looking at jobs and potentially moving and wanted to offer me the worship leader position one more time. Once again, I told him that I would talk with Jen and we would pray about it. This time, Jen and I both felt at peace to move forward almost immediately. So we joined the church plant, and for the first time in my life, I was on staff with the church. For several months, I would meet up with the pastor and a few folks doing sound and video to record services to play live on Sunday mornings due to COVID restrictions. During this time, we had joined a church, but not really spent any time with the people in the church. It was exciting, but weird. 
Once restrictions started to lift, and we were able to meet in person again, which in Florida was much sooner than most states, we began to get to know the people in our church better. We felt more at home than we had in a long time. And while I was only on staff a little over a year, I'd spent almost two years working with the pastor and the church. Not only was I leading worship, but the lead pastor frequently asked for my opinion on other church matters and invited my feedback on how we shaped church services. But things were stirring in my heart during this period, and significant life changes were coming our way. Toward the end of 2020, I got a new job working with a company that had a fully remote working model. A few months later, we found out that the birth mother of our youngest son was pregnant again and had asked if we would consider adopting the baby. And the short version is we said yes. Not long after that, we sold our house. And with no house, a baby on the way, and a flexible job, we decided that we would spend the summer of 2021 traveling. Every route in our life, except this church plant, had been torn up, and we were truly up in the air. Add to this, we had been seeing increasing inconsistencies in the church in America and starting to ask some hard questions. The more questions we asked, the more questions we had, and the harder it became to stay in the system. So during the summer of 2021, my wife and I found ourselves in a place where we were sure about very little. Between our concerns about the church and the coming of our new baby, we decided that I needed to step down from my staff position. There was almost two months between when I told the church that I would be stepping down and my last Sunday leading. During that time period and the following weeks of travel, I found that the questions and concerns that I had were spawning at a rate that I couldn't keep up with. On our road trips, Jen and I began to listen to a, a wide variety of podcasts. We started to listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which shows the underbelly of one of the pastor heroes of my youth. And we also began to listen to podcasts by people in the deconstruction community. There are several great ones out there, but one that I would specifically like to call out is the New Evangelicals podcast hosted by Tim Whitaker. He was saying things that really resounded with where I found myself, and in some ways helped me to see what our next steps as a family needed to be. I will have his podcast and social links in the show notes for this episode. You should really check out what the New Evangelicals are doing. So as we returned home from our last trips of the summer, I finally felt the confidence to let my pastor know that we were officially leaving the church. This was difficult for me, because he is a kind and genuine person. He had been very receptive to me and my family and displayed humility in the way that he approached the church. But it had to be done. Being in church had become such a burden to me that I believed the longer I stayed, the more damage I would do and the less likely it would be that I could ever return. As I record this episode, it has been about three months since I've been to a church service, and as I said in the trailer, I'm not sure when I will be able to return. I still love and believe in Jesus, and I hope there may be a day when I am able to return to some form of church, but right now the questions in my heart need to be answered, and the wounds that I have sustained need to be healed. So that is the overview of my story up until now four churches that I've been a part of, 
and faithfully served in over the past 15 years. Hundreds, if not thousands of hours spent serving and singing in the church. And while, yes, I have questions, I have doubts, I have fear and pain, as I said at the beginning, I still see blessing in this story. But there is more to the story. Tune into my next episode where I will revisit this timeline, but call out some of the things that gave rise to the questions and wounds that I have mentioned so far. I will dig deeper into the reasons that I had to start taking stone after stone from the wall of my beliefs and what has ultimately led me to this place of uncertainty. Uncertainty.